Good morning. Welcome to this time of worship uh, at Old Oak Bible Church for May 24th, 24th, right? Tomorrow, um, I think. And so <laughs> I get days, days all run together the same uh, around this time. Uh, but we hope, we pray you are well in this time of parts. And we have good news. You may have heard via email that our time of part will soon end with things reopening, state orders and federal orders coming in. Our initial plan is to gather together again in person here at Old Oak Bible Church at our building uh, in Middleburg Heights near Southwest General Hospital on June 14th. That is our initial day. We're going to make an announcement of how and how we're going to do that, what changes and procedures we're going to put in place. So be attuned for that. We're going to send out a newsletter. We'll post on our website this coming week of all that you need to know. And we look forward to it. We rejoice to be back together again. And we pray today, though, we want to be good stewards and dive into the word, seek the Lord in his truth, and be shaped and be more like Jesus and to see his beauty in the word. So we're going to start our time with prayer, and we're going to continue in our series in the Psalms. Today we will be in Psalm 32. So would you pray with me as we get started? Most glorious and most holy Father, Today is another day that you've made. Today is another day where we are your people, where we praise you for all who you are and all who you've done, that you've done. Lord, today is another day when we look at you and then look at ourselves, we are confronted that we have fallen short of your glory, that we have chosen our own way over and against your way for us, even this week, that we've been made aware of what remains in our hearts, the sin that clings ever so closely that we have indulged in panic, we have indulged in, in a number of things, we have not taken you as seriously and, and as just preciously as we ought. And God, today we ask again that you would restore our fellowship with you. We confess our sin and we want to uh, have the joy of our salvation again. Would you do that through your word this morning? Would you do that through your for your people today? All that we do today, God, we want to be done to the praise of your great name and to the good of your people. And we pray that more would be among your people uh, through this time. We trust that you are working in this time apart, perhaps reaching out to those in darkness, showing mercy to them, showing the power of your glorious grace. And God, we trust that you are at work in many ways we don't see during this time. We pray, God, carrying our requests to you, knowing that you hear us. We pray in light of what this weekend means, uh, Memorial Day weekend, and we thank you for the, how you have provided protection for, for our country through the sacrifice of servicemen and women throughout the years. We pray that you would comfort families of those who have lost ser, uh, servicemen and, wisdom, or, uh, men and women who were killed in action. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for that protection, for that provision. And God, we pray for the spread of the gospel, for the spread of hope, for your spiritual check, protection for your people even those at other churches around our area. We pray this for Olmsted Falls Bible Church. Please be with them and the saints there today. We pray for the spread of your word th uh, throughout the world. We pray for a God today in a place like Bangladesh, uh, facing a, a terrible storm, um, a majority Muslim country. We pray, God, that you would show the beauty and um, the sufficiency of Jesus in that land and raise up healthy churches and shine light in a dark place. And Lord, today as we approach your word, we ask that you would shine light in the dark parts of our heart. Expose them, bring us to you, 
and make us more like Christ. In his name we pray, amen. I want you to imagine that you are on your family vacation, and you could probably use one of these right now, but let's just say it is the morning of your fourth day away on vacation. By now, you've gotten used to some of the routine. You've just finished your very mediocre continental breakfast, and you decide you have vacation fatigue already. So you're going to head back up to your room, catch a few more Zs. So you go to the elevator, you go to your right floor, and when you get to the floor, you turn right instead of left. You've made that mistake too many times. But then as you head down to your room, you spot something that concerns you. You see the dreaded house cleaning cart. And it's at the end of the hallway. It's kind of near your room, but you can't tell exactly if it is at your room. But as you inch closer, you discover to your chagrin that the housekeeping cart is indeed at your room and you let out a sigh and try to muster up the fake kindness that you will interact with the house cleaning crew. Well, the strangest and funniest things bother us, don't they? I mean, why should it bother us that somebody else is cleaning up after us and cleaning our space? But it does. But there is one tool, ever-powerful tool, that can prevent this awful event from happening. And that is the little powerful sign that reads, Do Not Disturb. We can think of our, room, of our lives and our hearts a little like hotel rooms. And we can put a little sign on the outside of our lives and hearts communicating a message to God. One Christian author and pastor stayed at a hotel in Britain uh, and he noticed a very strange, a unique do not disturb sign. On one side, it says, I'm clean enough. Please do not disturb. On the other side, it read, I am a right mess. Come on in. I wonder of those two messages, what message does your heart and life communicate to God? I'm clean enough. Please do not disturb. I'm a right mess. Come on in. In Psalm 32, we read of God graciously opening David's eyes to see the mess of his heart and life that he has made. And we see how David came to take that mess to the Lord and how God forgave and cleansed David. So if you haven't turned there yet, turn with me to Psalm 32. We're going to read the whole thing. Psalm 32, a masculine of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. 
You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Here's the main point of the psalm, the main point that the psalm drives home to us. True confession of sin is the prerequisite to experiencing the happy forgiveness from the Lord and leads to joyful fellowship with the Lord. True confession of sin is the prerequisite to experiencing the happy forgiveness from the Lord and leads to joyful fellowship with the Lord. We'll look at this psalm in three different steps. First, we'll look at its thesis, then we'll look at its experience, and then we will look at its teaching. First up, its experience. We're looking here in verses 1 to 2. We begin here with the first two verses in which David sums up his argument, his main thesis or point, that it is a happy and blessed state to be forgiven by God. It's a happy and blessed state to be forgiven by God. That's the main banner that hangs over Psalm 32. Let's just do a little bit of investigating of this argument. Ask a couple of questions. Now, what are the blessings David speaks of here in Psalm 32? There's multiple facets of forgiveness that David talks about here. What are these blessings? He rattles them off really quickly. Well, first we see that there's the blessing of transgression being forgiven. You see that in verse 1. The blessing of transgression being forgiven. This word transgression carries the idea of crossing a line, of really crossing a line of rebellion. You see, sin is serious not just because we wrong others. Sin is serious ultimately because the core of it is looking at God's way and then refusing it and going against it. It's serious because it's rebellion. But the blessing is God forgives transgression. That word forgive literally means to have our sin lifted off. I think of John Bunyan's allegory of the Christian life, the Pilgrim's Progress, the main character who's named Christian. He came to the cross where Bunyan writes, his burden loosened from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the grave where it fell in. What are the blessings David talks about here in these first two verses? There's the blessing also of sin being covered. Now here, the idea behind sin is missing the mark of doing wrong, of violating God's instruction. But the blessing is that God covers sin. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest sacrificed a lamb upon which God symbolically placed all the sins of the people. And the high priest also would sacrifice a lamb and sprinkle its blood on, the, on what's called the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. This was a cover that went on top of the chest that held the Ten Commandments, which was a summary of God's instruction or God's law. So what we have here is God's people broke God's law. They sinned, but bl the blood covered the broken law. The blood covered their sin. 
and thus shielded them from God's judgment. Blessings. There's the blessing here of the Lord not counting iniquity against the person. What does this mean? Well, iniquity means twisted or crooked. It's what happens to us when we indulge in sin. It's what we become. It's what rebelling against God and violating his law does to us. But the blessing here is that God does not count the iniquity against us. So that word count here means reckon or impute. It's a legal term or a bookkeeping term. It means that God looks at our ledger, that God looks at our case. And instead of saying guilty, he says not guilty. Blessings. There's just one more. At the end of verse 2, there's another blessing. There is the blessing of having a spirit in which there is no deceit. And so the blessing that God gives to rebels is more than just transactional. It is transformational. Charles Spurgeon comments comments on this verse. He puts it like this. Those who are justified from fault are sanctified from falsehood. God blesses us with forgiveness of sin and then leads us away from sin to something better. Here are all these blessings. And then we can keep investigating and ask another question. What makes these blessings possible? What makes these possible? Well, we read here, and these blessings come from God. So if God is to give these blessings, then God must have a certain kind of heart and God must must provide a certain provision. God's heart is merciful and forgiving or else he would not provide. And we see here, David did not experience these blessings because of how good of a life that he lived. You know, this was not some kind of video game where David achieved something and unlocked a level and unlocked some experience of God's goodness. No. If that were the case, if David didn't receive these blessings until he lived a good life, then the blessings would have never come. And then it would never come to any one of us either. Actually, it's the opposite. These blessings came not to a law keeper, but to a law breaker, who by grace has been forgiven. So when the Apostle Paul quotes these verses from Psalm 32 in Romans chapter 4, he reminds us that this is how God has always worked. God has provided the blessings of forgiveness always by grace, never because we've earned it. David proves it. And we remember that God's ultimate provision of lifting off our sin, covering them with sacrifice, crediting us with righteousness, and transforming hearts, that ultimate provision comes through his son, Jesus Christ. It's no wonder why Ephesians 1.4 says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So I think we've done enough investigating of these two verses, of what these blessings are, how God gives these blessings. But now we need to investigate ourselves a little bit and ask ourselves a couple questions. Are these the blessings that you cherish? These ones here, Psalm 32, verses 1 to 2, are these the blessings that you cherish, that make you happy? Let's just think of what would be the opposite of verses 1 and 2. The opposite of blessed is cursed. So it would read, cursed is the one whose transgression is not forgiven. Cursed is the one whose sin is not covered. Cursed is the man against whom the Lord counts iniquity, in whose spirit there is deceit. 
because God's merciful and gracious provision of Jesus, we are no longer cursed. We are blessed. The beauty of the gospel is that Christ received the curse that we deserve and we received the blessing that Christ deserved. Do you cherish that? This passage does not read, blessed is the man who has 500,000 followers on Twitter. Blessed is the man who is debt-free. Blessed is the man who has a well-paying job. Blessed is the man who is happily married. Blessed is the man who is happily retired. Blessed is the man who has 2.5 kids and a mortgage. All those are fine. That's not what David hones in on, is it? Is it what you hone in on? You know, when I... When I listen to what Christians talk about, how Christians talk, many of them, I don't want to paint with a broad stroke, but, but many Christians, when I hear what they talk about, when I read what they post on social media, I see many who instead of living and resting in the blessings that Christ has won for us, instead I see many who would rather live in a bothered state than a blessed state. I see many people who just who seem to enjoy being bothered by everything, being outraged by something every day. Now, I'm not saying we can't be honest. I'm not saying we can't be concerned. But just think about it. You might have poverty. You might have instability. Listen, you might, believe it or not, you might have a government that you don't really like that much. You might have suffering. You might have illness. You might have stress, anxiety, strife. But Christian, if you have Jesus, you are blessed in the truest, best, most precious way. Do you cherish that? Do you cherish that? Maybe one more question here, um, investigating ourselves. And that's, do you have these blessings in the first place? Do you have Forgiveness, a covering of your sin, a righteousness that's credited to you. Do you have those blessings? Friend, let me tell you something. If you do not have Jesus, then the answer is no. The answer is no. But the answer can be yes. So any of us, let's take the advice of that old song and count our blessings. Name them one by one. And when we do that, the first and most precious ones should be the ones from Psalm 32, verses 1 to 2. Well, how did David get to this blessed state? How did he get there? This is where we shift to verses 3 to 5, where we talk about David's experience. So look at those verses again. He writes, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David's experience. His experience was that he did not want the blessed state that he just talked about in verses 1 to 2. He kept quiet. He stayed hidden. He covered his sin. But God drew him out. So that David came to acknowledge his sin and lay his sin bare before the Lord. Peekaboo is a ridiculous game, isn't it? Peekaboo. 
You know, young toddlers, babies, they convince themselves that if they can't see the world around them by covering their eyes, then that must mean the world around them can't see them either. It's ridiculous. But we convince ourselves that if we pretend our guilt isn't there, just cover it up like that, then that must mean God doesn't see it either. We will buy into anything to rationalize our guilt and sin. We will buy into anything to justify it. We tell ourselves that guilt is simply a societal and religious construct imposed on people to control and oppress them. We tell ourselves that wrong choices are the products of childhood development. We tell ourselves that rebellion against God is really actually just flaws. We tell ourselves that sin is simply natural impulses that we can't do anything about. We tell ourselves that we can compare to other people and make ourselves feel better, noticing that other people do the same thing that we do or even worse. We outright suppress our sin and our guilt. We avoid it because it's too painful. We avoid it because it's too hard to get over, and so we just ignore it. No matter what way we choose, all these are ways are hiding, and we know it. We know it. All these are forms of just putting our hands over our eyes and thinking that makes God doesn't see it. All these are just sophisticated, grown-up ways of playing peekaboo. And friends, David reminds us that the Bible is full of people who are not just superheroes. The Bible is full of people who are real people. David's like us. He hid his sin And we know the most famous instance of this or infamous instance of it, don't we? David took another man's wife. He had that man killed. And then he sought to cover up what he did. And no matter what way and what reason we choose to cover our sin, all of us, some point or another, have a nagging sense that we are not who we ought to be. We are not who we ought to be. Uh, the world is going to tell us to deny that feeling. But no matter how hard we try to deny that feeling, we will not get rid of it. David couldn't shake that feeling either. That feeling is not a lie. That feeling is a gift from God who turns on the lights of our filthy room, of our dark hearts to expose the mess that's there. This is what God did for David. David writes that God's hand was heavy upon him. I remember an episode of the TV show House. You might have watched this show. House is about, it's a TV show about a doctor. He's eccentric, he's troubled, but he's a genius. In one of these episodes, there was a girl who had no sense of feeling. I'm not talking about emotionally, but, but physically. She couldn't feel anything. And you might think, wow, oh, this would this be actually be a good problem to have. I, I could use that problem. But no, that means if you have no sense of feeling, you don't even know when to go to the bathroom. And more than what your motivational speaker tells you, pain is not simply weakness leaving the body. Pain is your body's alert system that something is wrong. And this girl didn't have it. And so the doctors are trying to figure out, like, what is going on? And at one point, they got got to their wit's end, and they were about to drill a hole in this girl's head to see if she would feel it a little over the top. But then Dr. House, in his wisdom, realizes just this unique scenario that this girl had a tapeworm who prevented feeling any kind of pain. 
All that's to say that just because you don't feel guilt in your heart right now, just because you don't see any sin in your heart right now, doesn't mean that you are okay and that it's not there. The truth is, there's something that's preventing your alert system, some kind of tapeworm. And God, out of his kindness, removes the tapeworm, unfolds our hands off of our eyes, turns on the lights of our dark hearts to show us what's there. And that might be, that might not be a pleasant process, but friends, it is a merciful one. It is the first step toward healing. For David, God did this for him when one of David's friends boldly and winsomely and lovingly got in his face after he sinned and spoke the word of God to David. Just, I wonder if somebody was that for you. I wonder if God would have you do that for somebody else in your life, lovingly, boldly, winsomely, pointing them to God. Friend, I wonder if that really annoying but well-meaning Christian in your life who is, you think is weird, I wonder if God has placed that person in your life to bring you back to him. You know, God allows moments in our lives when we're stopped in our tracks. You know, that spot on our arm, we go to the doctor, we find out that it's cancerous. That job that seems so secure that we've had for years, we lose it. That relationship that was so precious and sweet ends in divorce. The country that seems so prosperous is brought to his knees with a pandemic. The question is, when we are stopped in our tracks, will we listen? Will you look within yourself and be honest about what's there? Will you, like David in verse 5, go where God's hand leads? And that is to acknowledge your sin. Stop covering it up. And can you see what's happened so far in David's experience from verses 3 to 5? David kept the room of his heart dark. God turned on the lights. And now David brings his sin into the light. I just wonder, when you read verse 5, can you just, does the beautiful simplicity of verse 5 strike you? The beautiful simplicity David says, I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, right after that verse, there's that word salah. That's a musical term. It likely means just to pause and take a breath. Pause and take a breath after what we just read in verse 5. I confess, you forgave. David uncovered his sin, and right away, God covered it, removing his guilt and his shame. Friend, I wonder, do you know the heart of this God who is more ready to forgive your sin than you are to confess your sin? Well, you might say, Steve, this is really nice, but this is just way too easy. Well, yeah, friend, that's kind of the point. But it, let's be clear, clear, though. More than easy, this is, this is simple. And just because something is simple does not mean that it is easy. 
and you just think everyone, everybody, has had their conscience weigh on them at some point or another. Everybody's had that happen to them. But not everybody has gotten to the point of David in verse 5 where they acknowledge their sin truly to the Lord. That's because of what Jesus says in John chapter 3. Jesus says that the light has come into the world, but people did not come to the light because they loved the darkness instead. People did not come to the light because they did not want their dark hearts to be exposed. They did not want to leave behind their way of life. This is simple what David does, but it is not easy. Don't mistake it for that. Just because this is simple does not mean it is cheap either. You just think back to verses 1 to 2, and all that God had to do to make these blessings possible. We're talking about the incarnation, taking on flesh, becoming human, the perfect life, the substitutionary death on the cross, and the physical resurrection of the Son of God. This may be simple. This is not cheap. This may be simple, but it is not trivial. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 25. We'll we'll see this again as we continue in Psalm 32. But David confessed his sin to the Lord, and the Lord forgave. Now, when that truly happens, as simple as that may be, it produces change. It produces change in that person. So, for example, when a Pharisee criticized Jesus, when a woman from the city who had a really bad reputation began to wash Jesus' feet, Jesus responded by saying, those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have truly received forgiveness, as simple as that is, change. Now David transitions from sharing his experience in verses 3 to 5 to teaching others in verses 6 to 11. So he's like, guys, I'm not the only one who God can forgive. I've went to the river. I found a nugget of gold. Everybody come here and see. But the first step toward that place is confession of sin. So verse 6, you look there. It says, let everyone who is godly Offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Let everyone. I want to drill down on that word. Everyone needs this. Not just some people. Everyone. I'll share a couple of stories just to illustrate this. The first story comes from a man named Mez. He's from Scotland. Mez uh, says in his story, uh, my grandmother was a prostitute. My grandfather committed suicide. My mother, when she was set to get married to my father, left my father for the best man. My father was an alcoholic gambling addict. I was abandoned on the street in a box at two years old and lived in over 30 different institutions, children's homes, and foster parents by the time I was 14. Over 30. By the age of 12, I began experimenting with drugs. By the age of 16, I was living full-time on the street. By 21, I was in a maximum security prison with a serious drug habit. I was presented the gospel by a group of men at a community center where I dealt drugs. They played football or, or soccer in the area and told me about Jesus for the first time when I was 19. I was confronted with my sin in a stark manner, 
And I responded in a stark manner, kicking against the concept of God's judgment. These men who presented the gospel to me later came to visit me in prison. And upon my release on parole, one of the Christians whose face I used to spit in gave me a place to live, gave me a home. I realized in reading the book of Romans that I needed to take responsibility for my own sinful lifestyle and not blame it on my childhood and others and for the first time believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Mez is a pastor and he plants churches in the area where he used to deal drugs. That's Mez's story. Everyone needs this. Listen to another story from a man named Tripp. Tripp says, I've never been drunk. I've never done any drugs. I've never lived a wild lifestyle. But I was hopelessly dead in my sins. I grew up in the Bible Belt and was confused about what it means to be a Christian. Everybody around me professed to know Jesus, but it didn't make much difference in their lifestyle. I repeated a prayer when I was five years old and assumed I was a Christian, but when I look back, I don't really think I was because my sin didn't bother me and Jesus was not precious to me. But by many people's standards, I was a pretty good kid. But I was self-absorbed and very far from God. When I was 13 or 14, I heard the gospel truly. My own sin clicked. Jesus' work on the cross clicked and weighed on my heart, and God graciously opened my eyes and moved me to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. After that, my entire life changed. These are very different stories, aren't they? Both the same need. The self-righteous religious person. The relativistic hedonist who does anything he wants uh, just for his most pleasure. The sex offender, the gossiper, the serial killer, the polite and normal person who acknowledges God with their lips but whose heart is very far from God in their hearts. All of them have sin and need forgiveness. Oh, friend, can you see your need this morning? I urge you, do not cover it up. I urge you, remove your hands from it. Pray to the Lord. Do not cover your sin. Cling to the one who never sinned but died for sin. That is Jesus. Christian, this morning, you may need to return to your father and enjoy the fellowship with him that you had with him again. Some of us have forgotten that we are prone to self-deception. Some of us have been in church and around all this stuff for so long that we now only skim the surface of acknowledging our sin. We acknowledge our sin with the same kind of enthusiasm that we pray before a meal. Oh, Christian, again. Cry out to your God and ask, search me and see if there is any hidden way in me and bring your sin into the light. It is hard, but it is worth it. Confess it to the Lord and ask your brothers and sisters for help. And David says, everybody needs to do this. 
We keep going in verse 6. David makes the point, everybody needs to do this, and everybody needs to do this before it's too late. Look at how verse 6 keeps going. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Oh, we cover our sin now. We play the peekaboo game. But one day, whether we like it or not, God will remove our hands from our eyes and expose what's really in our hearts, all that we know that's there and all that we, know that, all that we even don't know that's there. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 36. He says, I tell you, this is Jesus. Jesus, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word. Friend, you may be convinced today that you are just fine. But in love, let me tell you that you are just like me. And one day, on that day, you will discover that you have been sorely mistaken. And on that day, it will be too late. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read account after account of Jesus healing and forgiving people. And one of the amazing elements of these accounts is the change that takes place in the people who Jesus healed and forgave. So, for example, take the man possessed with a legion of demons in Mark 5. We're talking a legion. This dude had thousands of demons inside of him. After Jesus healed this man, you know what happened? Mark 5, verse 18. It says, the man who had been possessed by demons begged Jesus that he might stay with him. Look how David continues in verse 7 of Psalm 32. He teaches us that the one who's truly received forgiveness from the Lord now enjoys the Lord and wants to stay near the Lord. I mean, do you see how David talks about God in verse 7? It tells us that true confession of sin is more than acknowledging sin. It's leaving sin behind, and it's begging to stay close to the Lord, the one who forgave us of our sin, the one who died for our sin. In confessing our sin to God, we seek not only the blessing of forgiveness of God, we also seek the blessings of fellowship and friendship with God. So that means when we confess our sins to the Lord, we're bothered by our sin, not just because we can't believe that we would do such a thing, but because we are out of fellowship and friendship with our Father. So verses 8 and 9, God takes the microphone. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Of all the barnyard animals, perhaps the mule is the stupidest and the most stubborn. Farmer gives it a name, calls it by name. That mule is not going to come back. It starts raining. All the animals need to come back into the barn house. The farmer calls out all the animals, but the mule doesn't come back. He has to go out and get the mule and drag it back. Here, God has forgiven us of our rebellion against him, and now he tells us, guys, do not be like the mule. As you see in forgiveness, God means not just to remove the guilt of our sin. God means also to remove the power of our sin so that we don't have to be dragged to follow him and walk in his ways. Instead, now we want 
to follow God and his ways. We want to hear his word. We want to respond in love and trust to him. Listen, if we are not to repeat the sin for which we ask God forgiveness, if we are to stay in the fellowship and friendship of God, we must listen to the counsel God gives us. And if we ignore that, we will be like mules who God has to drag back. If we persist in going after our old ways, we will experience all the sorrows of sin. Verse 10. Instead, as David closes his psalm in verses 10 and 11, instead of this, of being like the mule, we want to trust the one who forgave us. We want to be glad, to be glad in the one who gave life to those who are dead the one who rescued us when we strayed, the one who died for us when we were his enemies. Wanting to do that means we listen to him, means we stay near him. It means even we joyfully and humbly teach others to do the same. For as much as Psalm 32 is about confessing and acknowledging our sin, it also displays the mercy and goodness of God. The mercy and goodness of God who forgives our sin, who turns the light on our dark hearts, exposes our sin, and brings us to acknowledge it to him, and then forgives it, and then stays with us after he's forgiven our sin. The mercy and goodness of God. One old commentator compares this to a criminal being released from uh, his sentence. He writes this, The criminal may be pardoned, but he is returned into a scorning world with a tainted name and a ruined character. He is released from the temporal penalty of his guilt to seek shelter and substance where he may, compelled almost to return to the former associates of his sin as the only beings who will admit him into their brotherhood without a sneer or a reproach. No friendly voice is by his side to instruct and teach him in the way he should go. No eye looks kindly on him to guide him and direct him. Worse than all this, he has no peace within, no change of heart. Left to himself, the criminal is as vile as he ever was. But the sinner, who has fled to Jesus, finds all he needs. Grace friends, a home, eternal oblivion of his past crimes, an assurance of everlasting victory over all his foes. Oh, how amazing is this gospel plan. Friend today, choose to say to Jesus, I am a right mess. I acknowledge my sin. Forgive me. Because you died, I am forgiven. Because you are clean, I am clean in your sight. I may be a mess still, but I am your mess. Work in me and stay with me. Friend, this is the blessed life. It begins with confession and ends with joy. Let's pray. Holy God, in your sight, we are undone. We say, wretched man that I am. You 
Your law, your character exposes us and lays us bare. We can't cover anymore. And yet, God, the bad news is worse than we thought. That means the good news is better than we ever dreamed. And you see sinners, rebels who spat in your face, and you die for them. And you bring them back to yourself. Do this for us this morning. Do this for the people who do not yet bow their knee to Jesus. Do this for your children who do not experience the joyful fellowship with you of having their sins forgiven. Bring us back, Lord, and keep us near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.